podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap in association with Redsbet. Redsbet are partners. Uh, if you have signed up to Redsbet, do ensure that you've selected your account uh, that you wish to get your donations to go to the charitable contributions that they make out of people's losses. If it isn't for you, uh, that's absolutely fine. And be gamble aware, uh, full stop around this. I am joined by Rob Gutman, Paul Senior and Melissa Reddy to talk through Brighton versus Liverpool. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I want to start with going to a fair bit of detail in terms of watching the game develop Mel. It seemed to me like Brighton decided that they they weren't particularly interested in running the game, in, in taking the onus, even though they are the home side and they've got a good record at home, which we'll come on to. And Liverpool just decided to take complete control of the game, even though if at times you didn't feel as though they were trying to do a great deal with that control, they decided they were running the game. It was a very difficult game in a sense of Brighton are quite comfortable in their approach, in stifling you and being prepared to maximise any chance, any half chance, any sort of opportunity that came their way, way to punish any mistake. So when I watched the game, the first thing I thought of was the maturity from Liverpool because they didn't look to force it when they when they didn't need to. And as a supporter, oftentimes you want them to force it because you, you want to see a goal, you want to see better chance creation or more chance creation. But I think they had to play in two minds. One, uh, being comfortable in, in what they wanted to do. And the other is not giving Brighton a chance to be comfortable at all. And in saying that, they had to minimize risks. And I think that's why they were so safe in that first half. And when I, when I was looking at the game, the thing that astounded me, there's two things we know about Brighton. They score at home. They last didn't score at home in the league in March. The other thing is they're the best team at set pieces in the league this season. Uh, sorry, at scoring from corners especially. They had their first corner. They only had two corners in the game. They had their first on 68 and then the second one straight after that. That Liverpool were able to restrict that element of Brighton's game. I think that, that for me, again, that word maturity. Safe. Um, Mel refers there to Brighton as being stifling. She says that Liverpool were safe in one sense, Rob, mm. early on in the game. I think there is something which, where in a game like that one, in the context it was in, Safe wasn't a battle of laughs for 45 minutes. I think this is one of the... I think there's a real... You can respond to a football match in a number of different ways. And I think one of the emotional responses to the game was, whilst it was ongoing, I just really wanted it to be put to bed. Like, I just wanted yeah. the... I wanted the three points in the bag. You know, my ideal scenario was going to be Liverpool a 2-0 up after 10 minutes. And then from there, you know, it just all gets played out and we can all relax and it all feels all right again. And that first 45 minutes, I think it was it was, it was, it was a hard watch. Yeah. Whilst then when I watched it back yesterday, I was like, well... What was hard about this? They don't have a shot. They, you know, there's nothing. There was nothing to be worried about, and yet I genuinely had the feelings of constant worry in that 45. Yeah, it's it's hard to judge because hindsight makes it look very much like a script that was followed perfectly by Liverpool. But having said that, it's not it's not the first time a game's panned out this way this season. We, uh, Watford, Burnley, both were. Similarish first halves where Liverpool had sterile control of the game. Um, breaking, 
I said to you earlier, I, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a bit of a template you can take from, your, from a classic European away performance if you're doing 100% right, which is to break the spirit of the opposition. Because Brighton, I just think the last two or three times we've played Brighton, um, they've been potent at phases in the game. And they, they score, although we thrashed them last season, they actually create chances against us. At Anfield, they belatedly create a couple of chances and we nearly throw points away. Late on. Late on. And they, as Mel said, they're very, very dangerous in the air. So to to restrict them to zero chances, zero shots on target was was is not to be underestimated. Um, you could argue, I think, if you'd ask the manager at halftime, he goes, "There's patience, and there's a, maybe a tad too patient." Um, there was times where we could have we could have stepped it up. Having said that, I don't. The trouble is, a football match can seem a long time. Sometimes it can seem a very very quick sequence of events. And when you get to halftime and you still haven't broken through. You can say, yeah, we've been patient, the game will open up. And that's what me and Adam Melia were saying to each other on the concourse, trying to counsel each other. But but in the home dressing room, you can also say, 45 minutes away from a really good point here, let's more of this stoic defending. So I don't know is the answer. I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So I suppose, Neil, your analysis is right, ultimately. Paul Senior. Yeah, it was one of them performances I, I've envied for, for, a, for a long time, really. The ones where... Teams who ultimately go and win win leagues and stuff, just just find a way of of creating an opportunity or a moment of quality or or whatnot. And it was it was nice to see Liverpool could do that. And I sort of take everyone's points about the first half that it was a little bit a little bit placid, I suppose, and there wasn't there wasn't much to write home about. Um, but we never felt under any pressure. We didn't allow the home side to really get the crowd up or, or anything like that. So Liverpool always felt in control. And what, what surprised me coming out like after the game and sort of seeing match of the day and stuff like that was how many chances we did we did create. And that that didn't feel so apparent in the ground. I didn't realise Shakiri's miss was such a big miss. Um there wasn't like I can't believe he's missed it in the in the away end. It just felt like a ball come across and it was a header. Didn't you know? It, it, yeah. Nothing felt massive, but I, w- I wasn't. You know, Rob's talking about himself and Adam counselling each other. I never really felt that nervous that it wouldn't come. I, I thought Liverpool sort of kicking towards the away, the away fans and that end would would start turning the screw, and ultimately they did. I think why I use the word safe is because we found that the midfield and Henderson particularly was right on Virgil van Dijk and, and Fabinho. And and I think that was in a sense because Fabinho was playing as a as a centre-back for the first time for Liverpool. Um, the Trent injury before kick-off. Yeah, the Trent injury just before kick-off. So I think the safety first was just ingrained in them because of the circumstance, because of the, the massiveness of the fixture, not in that it's Brighton away, but in that... You just lost to City. The lead's only four points. All eyes are on you. People, you know, externally want you to crack. There, there has to be those big headlines that are oh, Liverpool are, are starting to feel the pressure. So, I think all of that boils down into them thinking, whatever we do, let's not be too risky. That then created, I think, big gaps between the midfield and and the attackers. And what we saw was, you know, the ball went over the top too often because there were runners in behind Salah and um, and Sadio, but there was nothing happening in between the lines. And that's an issue because if you're going to keep putting the ball over the top against, you know, two quite 
big centre-halves for Brighton were very good aerially. It's not always going to work, but I think Liverpool were clever in the sense that they knew what they were absolutely did not want to do. And they had the conviction that they would create one or two or three moments that would give them the chance to win the game. Those balls over the top, Mel, I thought, and again, this is as much a watching it back thing, but even at times during the game, I thought that was just trying to force them back five yards. That the way we'll get some more space in this, they're so compact and they were unbelievably narrow considering mm. they were a five. Then there's the four, but the four and the five were really close together for Brighton. And I thought that one of the reasons why those balls over the top were happening was just, let's just put some doubt in their minds. If they drop a few yards, it doesn't have to be many, then we We've suddenly got a bit of space to play. But that's why I thought you saw all of, you know, it's interesting looking at the passing stats, you saw all of Henderson, Van Dijk and Fabinho try that ball over yeah. the top, which is what made me think this could be, the and in the first half especially, this could be the instruction. This is how you just get them to not be able to sit quite where they want to. You just force them a bit. I think it. the issue was it's a good tactic, but it happened too often. Yeah. And there wasn't variation. And I think the manager was looking for variation because you saw him, you saw him on the touchline, instruct them to, you know, come on, play a bit, give me something, anything in between the lines in the first half. And then second half, it's completely different. So definitely at halftime, you know, he's spoken to everyone about their positioning and, and what they could do better. And I thought you saw it in, in Mohamed Salah's performance, especially the, the change between the first half to the second. I want to talk about this with Salah, Rob. Mm. I think there's something in two things from Salah this season, first goals and second halves. I yeah. think he's scored a lot of first goals, a lot of key goals in matches. Um, he has not scored yeah. as many goals uh, now. I think we can say that so far this season as he did last. But he scored a lot of goals that have either been decisive or opened the scoring for Liverpool. The other thing as well is I think against both Brighton in the league, uh, sorry Brighton there and Wolves in the league, I think he's far more involved and dangerous in the second half. I think he's whether or not he's working people out, whether or not he's looking at some video footage at half-time, whether or not he's being pulled to one side, whether or not it's just taking him a little bit of time. I think he's having some unbelievable second halves in comparison to firsts where he comes right alive and is prominent in the game. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of player who's going to be restricted for space and targeted for space is going to have more space in the second half. And in a sense, they know that and they live for it. I also think you see, you see tweaks in their positioning, in Salah's positioning. You know, when we're starting him very centrally, but he, he, he's, he creates the goal from a right wing position, doesn't he? He, he, looks, he? he looks for solutions wherever he can. He's such a clever player. Yeah, he frustrated me first half. I thought, you're just not, you know, you're our best player, but you're not in the game. But to find a way of getting into it, and, he, and he's the dominant player in the second half, is quite incredible. But yeah, you're right, it has become a pattern. He's the dominant player of the second half, and that's everything goes through him, Paul. I... I think we're, we're maybe missing exactly how, because it is quite unconventional in a few senses, how brilliant these number nine performances are. That's the second half there where he's simultaneously the 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 front of the attack, he's simultaneously the apex, and yet he's involved in so much that brings other people into play and creates space for them. You know, because he's not Fernando Torres and six foot one or even Luis Suarez where it's all action and channels and all of that sort of stuff. I think we're missing the the, the sheer subtlety and excellence of this at times. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a really way good way of putting it, I suppose. The um yeah, the, the the difference in them this year to last while whilst retaining the goals is, is remarkable really. Um I, I always used to think if Salah didn't score, did he did he do much, you know, in games and uh, he quite often scored, so he got away with it. You know, you come out of ground going, Salah didn't do anything, but he got two goals, and that's that's what he's there for. 
where now it's it's all round centre forward performances and not not one I really knew he had in this game because I think sort of the limited idea you had of him is you know if you if you can get the ball in behind to him he's he's well quicker than anyone else and he's quite composed in front of goal he'll score or you know he's a bit of a poacher he can do, he can do all the things that will ultimately result in just a goal whereas now it's just running the game is different and I don't know how much that's helped from having Firmino, Firmino in behind him and doing a, doing a lot of selfless work, which which he quite often does. But Salah's performances, while still being joint top goalscorer in the Premier League, are, are remarkable. There's a cleverness, I think, Malif, and this is the thing I'm almost taking from this season, which, if you say it wasn't there last season, I'm now probably more of the view, I, I at least was probably missing it a little bit. You know, the, there's a real football intelligence, I think, with him. And I, I'm... It, I think he's almost the dominant intellect, certainly in, in in an attacking sense on the pitch for Liverpool in that second half, and and therefore for for both sides, he's he's so bright and so eager to see opportunity, and he just works things out as games wear on. Yeah, absolutely. Jurgen Klopp actually at the start of the season, when people were questioning Salah because the goal count wasn't as high, said he thinks he's playing better this season uh, than he was last. And that was in terms of his all-around play, how he was linking up with his teammates better. There was less of a, a selfish, selfish edge and more of a what do I need to do right now for the team rather than, you know, what do I need to do for my yeah. for my goal counts. And I think, you know, the, the thing about working out solutions, he's been targeted, obviously, as we all expected. And you look at that first half, every time the ball goes anywhere near him, Brighton are right on, like, you know, not giving him anything, not giving him an inch. Um, We saw it against Napoli as well. We've seen it many times where, you know, as soon as the ball's anywhere in Salah's vicinity, you try and, you know, kill the opportunity immediately. And the thing with that is, a lot of players can get frustrated by that and then end up being, becoming inconsequential in a game and he actually as the game progresses thrives off it and he's like okay that's the challenge here's how i'm going to circumvent this challenge here's how i'm going to get over it and he he does it in not just with his speed because i think that's what everybody fixates on but the strength the way he uses his body the way he reads situations his alertness he's alive Mohamed salah to even you know one tenth of a chance his feet uh, are ridiculous, like yeah. we, we don't talk about that often enough. He does have feet at times, like toes that twinkle like messes. He's ridi- mm. He wins the penalty because he's, he can move a ball between his feet. And but but also persistence. He wins the penalty because yeah. of the persistence. He's like, like I, yeah, I'm not... Le- this is my opportunity now, and I'm not relinquishing this opening. It's it's mine. And he, fi- he fights in that yeah. in that little spell to get the penalty. Can I quickly talk about the, the penalty and the award of the penalty and then the... The, the narrative that he might have dived, and that this is a recent phenomenon. Well, every time he gets penalties, is a getting, well, yeah, sorry. Every time, well, every time, every time he he earns a penalty, it's it's, it, the, you know, the national narrative is now: did Salah dive? He goes down too easy. All this kind of crap. Um, it annoys me because it because it's why if you look at the, you've seen the stats that come out in the like, over the weekend, various people have put that Liverpool have had only six penalties since Christmas seventeen, whereas the likes of Palace and Leicester and whoever and Bournemouth have had sixteen. You know, no, no, it's, 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 I've had I've had twelve, and there's this. 
and actually, it's not just us who suffer, you know, the other big clubs are suffering. And it, show, it just shows there's a clear correlation between referees, not between big clubs and referees not awarding penalties to big players. Some of the pens that Sterling hasn't been given in the last 12 yeah, months are absolutely, absolutely outrageous, yeah. to be yeah. honest. There was one at West Ham where he was basically, the lad nearly not just pulled into the turf, but nearly had a short Yeah, but I think, I think this is it. I think referees, though, are so scared because there's the ones at Shakhtar at home. Where he kicks the floor and, and gets gets a pen, and then, but he doesn't ask for that to be fair to no, Sterling. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I, we used to have this with. Uh, we there used to be the when Suarez gets a pen thing, wasn't yeah. there? Because he'll occasionally die for one and that. But with Salah, I remember last season people were going. He was getting dragged back in the box and wasn't going yeah. down. You were thinking, what on earth has to happen to Salah for him for to, to get, get a, one? But now, but now I think he's. He's aware of that, so like you can see, he gets the first contact, and when he gets the second contact, he goes. It's almost like, you know, you've, you've got to give that. Sorry, Rob, there's, a, there's a simple statistic that should exist in the game: the teams that are scoring the most goals in a league should more or less be getting the most penalties because simply they must be in, in the, the box position. In yeah, the, so. It just is a fact. If the teams that are having scoring the least or well, lesser amounts of goals are getting the most penalties, something is very wrong. I think this is serious. I think VAR will may begin to solve. Maybe, this. but you remember there was that I can't quite remember who City were playing, but there was some game earlier this season where City just had the ball in the box for ages and it was moving around and it was a clip and everyone. Was, I think it might have been West Ham or something mm. and everyone was, was taking the piss out of West Ham's defending but the thing is one of the reasons why they have the ball in the box for so long is they're terrified to make a tackle on them yeah. Yeah, and is, they've yeah. just yeah. got the ball and got the ball and the thing that should happen is actually just for everyone's dignity eventually someone should just wallop somebody and maybe <laughs> get the ball and go from there genuinely because yeah. I think City score because they're just present in the penalty area and it's, it's, it's an interesting bit of the penalty area not the periphery and I do sort of wonder if there is a little bit of a thing where there was a couple of times I thought during that game where Mane's got it in and around the box and they're just not going to touch him under any circumstances yeah. and I'm almost willing Sadio want to maybe do a bit more because they don't want to go near you mate yeah. and I do sort of wonder if, I, yeah, that could if those just... defenders are getting a bit cleverer in terms of they're just not going to get sucked in when as soon as we get inside that line I'm not going to get sucked in mate and then what's happening now recently with Sal? I think it's been happening anyway. We've not been getting them. Don't get me wrong. I think we've not been getting pens. Mm. But I do think there is an element of of defenders Stand, just standing off. standing forever. Having having said that, the more you're in the box, the more you're pinging around at pace. No, the I chance agree, of a missed time. I do time. broadly agree with you. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't mind if the stats were exactly. You, they're so extreme the other way. The cities and I think City, Liverpool, Spurs, all getting like fives and sixes, whereas you've got Palaces and Brightons and Bournemouths getting twelves. Something's badly awry, and it just shows. How mental refereeing is! I don't mental. I do think there's a thing in refereeing now where they're trying not to look like they favour the big clubs too much. Clearly, what's going on? It's 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 weird. Like I've seen at Anfield, it's almost like referees try and give the image that they're not a not a homer or. Well, no, we don't but it's interesting that after this game, Brighton were talking about. They, I mean, Hooten, by the way, says it's a clear cut pen. I don't know if yeah, it's seen his post match comments. It comes out mm. it's a clear cut pen, but he also did feel as though we were getting more of the more of the fifty fifty decisions. Felt nice in the ground. I understood where the, where the frustration from Brighton was coming from because we did seem to get the lion's share of the decisions, but we had the lion's share of the ball and we had the lion's sort of share but of everything. On that, I want to go back to Mel on that and actually run with that a little bit because I think one of the reasons why, for instance, we're getting the lion's share of, share of decisions is it's back to this thing that. Brighton are so on the edge just to stay with Liverpool, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know when you're on the edge is when fouls happen. That's when that's when you just sort of you're a little bit mistimed, you're a little bit late. There's you you feel the need to use your hands where maybe you wouldn't normally because you're being pushed to your limits, and we might it might not have looked to us watching at home or or in the ground as though we were pushing Brighton to the limits, but Brighton are having to play in the red just to keep that at one nil. Yeah, and you know Paul makes a, a good point there when you've got. The majority of the play 
the opposition have to try and, you know, do something to, like I used the word at the start of the show, stifling. And part of the stifling is, is the fouling. But even just to get a breath. Yeah, know. exactly. Um, they get and- six decisions on the bounce, I think it is, in the second half, and it frustrates the hell out of the crowd. Maybe one, you go the other way, but just after they get their first one, the first one they get, I think Sadio Mane's kicked five feet in the air. <laughs> yeah. It's the most blatant foul. Did it come across on the TV like that, by the way? It was ridiculous. I mean, it's, yeah, anyway. But I, I don't think... Uh, I've seen a lot of um, people saying, you know, the home crowd were were quite intense and quite unhappy with the officiating and and made it known but having watched the game and then watched it back i don't think there was much at all for them to be annoyed about if i'm a brighton supporter i'm actually sitting there thinking actually again you've stopped this or partially stopped this juggernaut of a team that are sitting at the top of the table that are very very hard to break down themselves and have such an array of attacking talent you know i'm coming away proud of that brighton team who have who have had an amazing season who have been so strong at home and who made liverpool work incredibly hard to get that goal i think that's what hooten says post-match as well he's into the fact that he's proud of them and and all is he basically is very open and honest it's the same as at anfield he's he says we were just trying to hang on in. We just wanted to still be pretty close to them with ten to go and see if we got something. And that's you know, I it's think interesting that's quite when he telling. takes Murray off though. Do you know because if if he's a played he, and 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 only brings on on and he takes Murray off and you think if that was the other way around you could imagine the crowd getting up for a Glenn Murray coming. I on. think he got, I think he actually picks them the wrong way around. Yeah, I do. I absolutely think he gets it wrong. I wondered. Wonder whether he thought, oh, we're going to get loads of change out of Fabinho here. We'll put we'll put it into Glenn Murray, but they never really just got the ball wide and and, and got a ball in. And do you that want... was down to I think Liverpool defended that well. Mm. I think we made a very very specific uh, decision not to to risk committing fouls in wide areas, say just ten yards inside the half, so they could bend one in and put those two big boys in. Is it Duncan Duffy? Yeah, well, Mel mentioned and she's like how good they've been in corners and stuff like that. They are yeah. the two most head the ball centre halves, and that in a sort of <laughs> in a lit- literal way they win everything in the air. Yeah. But we, we were talking on the way out, weren't we, about the difference between them and the next level up, obviously, which is the the Van Dyke level of centre half, where they've got it all on the ground, but everything in the air. You can see why there's such a threat, but I just don't think they used it. You know, I know what you were saying. This, you know, for a while I hadn't sort of seen proper English centre halves, ones who are really good at one thing, doing their their craft so well, and they were. You see, see yes. the ball come in and bang away every time, every ball. They so love power, clearing it, don't they? Pat, beautiful. But you know what? When it was works though. But yeah. when, that's when we in the we're in behind the goal, where we had them up close. Second, well, first half we have Van Dijk up close and Fabinho to an extent. This is what I'll talk about Van Dyke. The genius of Van Dyke is he is a grok. I know he's big, but he can do all that and then all the other stuff. But it's amazing at what level he's at because they, they are world class at just fucking that ball off with their head. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they do. But 20 so, out of 20 on Championship Manager for fucking it off with your head. But Virgil gets there too, and he's silky. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think they didn't use their aerial ability. Um, to the extent that they could have, I think they just weren't allowed to. Um, I think they tried a lot of times to target Fabinho with Murray in and around, whether it was, um, you know, putting the ball in the air or getting Murray to hold it up around Fabinho, but I thought he, he dealt with it well. I think he won all three of the aerial duels he was involved in. Obviously, you don't even have to talk about Virgil van Dijk in the air. 
but I thought the pair of them dealt really well with everything Brighton sort of had to give. And again, I'll make the point that I thought Brighton tried to give absolutely everything. So mm. their their fans should be happy with that performance. If Matip had come back and been available for selection, um, Paul, and he put that performance in that Fabinho puts in, we'd all say he's played well there, Matip, uh, certainly mm. coming back off the back of his injury. I think that's the context of the Fabinho performance, that you were able, as the game wore on more and more, to sort of forget this was meant to be a bit makeshift. And if anything, you began to think... Hang on, there could be something in this. Uh, he, I, I was really, really pleased with him, and I, I enjoyed him battling with Murray, and I was really pleased. But across him, Henderson, Van Dyke, there was just a seriousness about them. They were, they were serious men who were, who were very much not going to let anything go wrong here today. And I thought that that was, that was just great to see what you were talking about before about that level of maturity. Mm, that, that, that triangle works. You know, Fabinho, a centre half looked like a centre-half, you know, as much as I think he's a, he's a good midfielder, he doesn't not look like a centre-half, he doesn't look like a, a holding midfield player look, playing centre-half, he looked like a centre-half, he was, even in, do you know, like, the, the motion and the way they step out and stuff like that, it's almost like that Liverpool line all season has been spot on, it's just like Fabinho's just slotted in, yeah, we're, we're, we're one unit again, it felt fine, and it was it was mature from the three of them, but if if Matip, if Matip was there, I, I don't even know whether I'd change it. You, you know, you it's know. just that you want Fabinho in midfield, really, now. Because I, 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 I was saying to you earlier, Neil, he whetted my appetite for having him back in midfield because I think he's a really fantastic um, Yeah, player. absolutely. But with Palace at home at the weekend, you go, when, when we're on the ball and going forward, is it, it's like having the chance to overload a little bit. You know? I think Brendan Rodgers was a huge fan of that, where you just try and get as many players that could overload as possible. So where Liverpool would be in the ball, it's like having another midfielder on the pitch. But off it, he felt just like a centre-half, where I don't think Joe Matip would have done any better than him. The no. great sadness of the Wolves' selection now, Mel, is I really would have loved to have seen Henderson and Fabinho both playing centre-back next to each other. Genuinely, like that, that, if the manager was saying, and we take him at face value, that that was what his selection was going to be before Henderson got a little problem, I'd have been fascinated just to see how that would operate in a, in a game like that. And there is something in against the poorer sides, maybe the idea of Fabinho back there, certainly whilst we're waiting for Gomez to come back to fitness, and then maybe he's an, even as an option to rotate him. Uh, the interesting thing Jürgen Klopp said afterwards, you know, on that point is Brighton didn't re- weren't attacking all the time, so it made sense to have a ball-playing midfielder at centre-back. So, to your point, it's something that he would do. And that's my know, point yeah, as well. He would do against sides that he knows, you know, are, are looking to be obstructive more than they are enterprising. I, I thought Fabinho was excellent in, in everything, uh, just on the ball, which there was no surprise there, but I think he makes five clearances, which is the most, uh, two important blocks as well. Uh, I thought he was in the thick of everything when he yeah. needed to be and composed and calm when he needed to be. Um, and he he was competitive when he needed to be. So just in terms of everything you would want out of a centre-back in that game, I think he provided it. Still sad that it wasn't McKenna, though, partnering Virgil. <laughs> I, um, Cruising his way through the game. He, he felt like a 32-year-old midfielder playing there as well. Yeah. When you lose 
I think he looks he looks older than he is for being young, but you lose sight of the fact that just how young he is. It, mm. it was so, it was. I think I think don't get me wrong. There was a, there's a lot a lot of people in football. Go, you put you put me next to Virgil van Dijk, you look good. He's such a calm and presence. But I didn't think there was there was loads of that going on. I'm sure he controls the defense and moves them out and whatever. But for for a reasonably young lad who is a, who is a midfielder who's played a bit at right back, I thought it was a remarkable performance. Really, really like really mature and. And one of the lads where you think you could spend the rest of your career there for any Premier League side and you'd be fine. It might be temptation for Klopp to, to, to try him again at something like home to Palace just to see. Because you look you look at him on that performance, there's, a, there's, a, there's an inkling of saying he could be our third best centre-back, you know. He, he could be the one if we've got either a Van Dijk or Gomez out that we go to him before we go to Lovren and Matip. I don't think it's that far-fetched to say that's a possibility. I think, I, I think, I think that could be the case if you expect to have more of the ball. If you, like, I think yes. it, yeah, it depends, on, it depends on the opposition and... and I just Threats. think we don't know fully actually how good he is. I mean, we need to see him against uh, an Aguero running at you, for example, and twisting into. I know that's the highest level you can face virtually, but coming up against people who want to play aerially and you're a big lad, that may be less of a test than, than but, nippy. But Glenn Murray, our way at Brighton, is is a oh, test in itself. It and is a test, and he it, passed that test. I'm just saying there are other tests. Yeah, absolutely, and more more mobile certainly, and they're the ones where you'd you'd imagine would be the the more that, difficult. That's why I would have gone with Andoan for sixty. I'd, yeah. I think that if you, I think it's interesting. I think he always subs Murray. I think you know better than me, but he tends yeah. to always sub Murray around 60, 65. But I think that, but, oh, but he's been doing that with Andone, and I just think, I wonder if in hindsight, if you could ask Cuton if he would sort of think, you know what, maybe I should just have gone the other way, and had the idea of 60 minutes of the movement, and then 30 minutes of the presence. You can imagine more of a test this weekend, wouldn't you, that, say, Will Sahar plays on him, and, he, and he's running them, then then that would be a different one, and maybe, maybe then you go, oh, he does look like a centre midfielder, exactly. playing centre-half. But I didn't get the vibe that he was ever putting themselves in, in, in himself in situations where he was ever going to be exposed, whether that be early on the ground. You know, they bring. He's a fullback, actually, by you know, by, yeah, by training or whatever. So you'd actually think he'd fancy himself in a foot race, wouldn't you? Makes that, that, that number three shirt. It's making more sense as yeah. <laughs> time goes on. As it was, I want to talk a little bit about Firmino, Rob. Mm. In that, I don't think he does anything tremendous in this game. Um, he has the he has the shot when he could maybe feed Salah in. I actually think the argument is he should take it another couple of strides before he strikes it. But he he strikes it when he does. Um, he. He's not demanding. He's not, you know, it's not as though it's a performance that we're meant to be praised into the skies. But I just thought, I thought he looked like someone who's now settled into that role. I thought he was constantly available, constantly involved, harrying when he had to. And that was the bit that most impressed me. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's tracking back all over the place and he's aware of when he needs to because he might be a man light. I just thought he was helping that shape work massively. I mean, it wasn't like there was any point where we felt like we were a defender light. No, I thought he had. A, I thought he had a good game. I think. Did you say after Paul he was your man of the match? I think you did. For me, no, yeah. Yeah, we we, we came out quite effusive about him, and yeah, I thought he was really, really good. Uh, I liked how when we're trying to sort of control, control the game in another way, second half, take it away from Brighton. How he pulls left, then he links with his Milner and Robertson, and we're beginning to open them up on that side. I think that bit where he's dancing, he, he almost reprises his PSG, not PSG, whose goal he scores the Arsenal, Arsenal goal, where he tiptoes through them. Um, no, I, th- I thought I thought he was, uh, if not made peak Roberto Firmino, I thought that was quietly one of his most efficient games. Yeah, for, for me, I thought he was magnificent. I was surprised when I seen that you, you put it in the agenda that you thought that it wasn't a, a great performance, but a good, but a good one. I, I thought it was a great performance from him, and maybe maybe it's stuff that you see see a bit more in the ground than, than on the telly yeah. or something like mm. that. But he, he, the the whole sort of energy in Liverpool and. 
the will, the willingness to just recycle possession was all all through him, and he was so clever in terms of taking people away. All the things you sort of come to expect from him, but you should never take for granted either. He is such an intelligent footballer, and I think he's been through a bit of a difficult spell, and he's roared roared back from it. And I thought this one was was as bar- about as good as it gets in terms of a number 10 who doesn't score. You know, um, thought he was creative. One and two touch linking up, keep keeping those... You know, if, if the ball went wide, he'd link up with the full-back. It wouldn't necessarily be the wide. Like, it wouldn't be Mane or Salah. He would be the one who'd cover either side. Mel, I was actually about to say, I think he doesn't have help Mane and Shaqiri through the game in different ways. He does a lot of the work for them at times. It's now, you know, there's times last season where arguably he was doing a bit of Salah's work for Salah a little bit and letting Salah cheat at times. Now it's even, it, he's almost added Mane and, and, and Shaqiri into that list of just footballers he's just helping out through the game. And I thought you saw a lot of that at the, against Brighton. Yeah, I, th- I think Klopp referenced it as well. Firmino, you know, guiding players through the game or guiding the attacking players through the game. I thought, you know, we spoke about maturity. I thought his performance encapsulated it. It was so intelligent uh, all throughout, even when Liverpool weren't forcing the game or were happy to just keep things ticking over. So was he. When Liverpool looked to step it up, it, you know, he was the one that, along with Salah, stepped it up. Um, and his ability to do the very simple things that make a world of difference to this team is just astounding. And I think that's why, even when, you know, the outside world are, are saying Firmino's off it or Firmino's not really doing much, the manager's always the first to say, <laughs> you have no idea how much he's doing for this team. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's it, really. He's... He's the sort of footballer you appreciate when he's your own footballer. You know, uh, we're singing he's the best in the world, Roberto Firmino, and people are going, well, he hasn't scored that many goals or something like that. It's not about that. It's not about that whatsoever. It's it's about everything he does. And yeah, he he protects, but he is the most selfless footballer in, in the world, I, I feel, at that, 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 sort of an elite level. He's, he's so happy to just help everyone through a game. But I thought... As an example performance of what he does that you don't necessarily see in a match of the day show reel or whatever, that that's that's the one you look at. He's most. Do you know what? Quietly, for a, for a sort of a selfless, but the way people describe for me, you know, this selflessness, his team ethic, is is bringing people. To, all these all these sort of adjectives we use around him, it always gets lost. What enormous level of technique he's got. Yeah. I don't think I can remember such a sort of a giver, if you like, of a footballer who's blessed with that amount of quality because normally with that quality comes a sort of a sort of selfish single-mindedness too that I am going to be the guy who, who you are going to uh, build this team around he's able to sort of just park some of that at times but just little moments in every single performance his you touches go. sometimes yes. are, are, are godly it. the way he yeah. controls the weight of things is, yeah. is, is is quite interesting so his little his little layoffs or the way he can he can fizz it it's completely he's got like different gears that he just shifts through constantly and if it, if it needs to be soft and he can do that but if it needs to be hard and fast he can absolutely up the tempo and play one two touch really quickly brilliant brilliant performance we'd have all liked it to be a bit more clinical I think after it goes 1-0 I think that's you know if you are the manager you've got a couple of notes that could be one of them I don't yeah. just mean clinical in terms of take the chance when it falls to you as you could say about Salah but instead clinical in terms of make ever so slightly better decisions better ball time, before the chance yeah. ball before the chance I think that's probably all fair if we're looking for mm. things to pick at yeah and I think you know uh, the, the sort of 1-0 Liverpool narrative is like the fifth or sixth 1-0 of the season something like that which is not something we were used to before and isn't happening, I think, because we're just ruthlessly waiting for our one chance, getting it, shutting up shop like vintage George Graham Arsenal. 
I think it's because at times we've been a little pro. We are much better at defending, but we've been at times more profligate in front of goal. Maybe a little unluckier as well this season. That's sort of a perverse irony to that because when you win a few games 1-0, those from outside go, Liverpool are a bit, a bit spawnier this season, but that's not the case. I'd quite like to see, obviously the Salah miss is, is one in isolation. He would normally bury that. He didn't even seem to be particularly concentrating no. when that came at him. But the one where Wijnaldum's at the edge of the box, I'd like to just see him fire that in, in, in a way so where you... Wijnaldum, that yeah, is it. And that, they're, they're just a little ones where they go, well, there's, there's your opportunity to chip in and make that 2-0 and put the game to bed or... These these are the ones where I don't think we get enough, and that's why some of these one nils have not been two and three because we're always looking to the same couple of lads to be completely ruthless. And Salah does his bit, and I think we speak about Firmino, and I think don't, I don't think it's Mane's greatest day, but I thought he was all right. But then you, you go, I, I want a bit more, I, I want five more goals from Wijnaldum, and I want five more goals from Henderson, and I think don't get me wrong, they do they do the lion's share of other stuff, but if they could just add that to us, we'd be. A, It'd be completely different to that 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 look out of the one nils. I think if you have a Shakiri off the bench, you yeah. you probably get a goal, an extra goal mm. there. But you have Milner off the bench, who I think did really really well when he came mm. on. But he's not he's not got an eye for goal. Although he's had a great goal scoring season, not quite the same sort of eye for goal. Player. There was one he was heading through Milner, and he just couldn't quite get the ball to him in the middle again. This, mm. this pass before the pass thing he was in. I was you know he he made the run, he'd done everything right, and he was just going to convert it. But either it just doesn't quite get through to him. Or that could be like that. that could be praise for Brighton, though, couldn't it? Well, I think there should be praise for Brighton. They did mm. well, Mel. Uh, the opportunities that Liverpool have missed this season when you go through, you know, when you think about Huddersfield away, when you just think the amount of times it, it could have gone yeah. from 1-0 to about 4-5 yeah. quite easily is, is actually staggering. Um, it surprises me that they haven't yet perfected the counter and haven't got it as sleek and as sure as, as it can be. Uh, but I think it's it's improving and it is coming. Uh, the Wijnaldum chance, the way they carve that out is is very, very good. Um, yeah, I think Salah definitely wasn't expecting the ball to come <laughs> oh, no. to him. And he, and he well, hit him very hard. Yeah, <laughs> and he wasn't uh, ready for it, to, ready to receive it. But I think when we look at the scoreline, it's easy to say Liverpool didn't really do much in an attacking sense in the game, but there was a lot of chance creation. It wasn't a one nil game. If you watch it back, it's just, it's, an, it's a bit anomalous that it is one nil. Hmm. Um, last little uh, thing before we uh, before we move ourselves along, um, just want to talk about the fullbacks. Uh, one of them was uh, the knock before the game. Brighton, I, as I say, I'm going to talk about it a lot on the review. I'm going to come back to a couple of these themes on the review, Paul. But I, you know, I've never seen a four-five-one be as narrow. It was unbelievable how narrow they were out of possession. That they were stopping Liverpool from getting through the middle because the space at times Robertson and and, and Alexander Arnold had, and they were playing their own game for a period, pinging the ball to each other on a couple of occasions. The space is just unbelievable. But that again tells you that this is part of how Brighton were dealing with Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought Robertson was great, but the. the the, the big surprise in the game was the lack of sort of... Uh, they, they, Brighton must see what, what we were saying in terms of Trent not being able to run particularly freely and they, they never really um, they never really took advantage of that. But I thought I thought Trent got, got himself through the game and I still can't believe he did a full game. So he, he got through so well and... He, he was he was in so much space so often, and I wonder whether they thought, oh, well, he, he's slightly wounded, so maybe leave him. But leaving Robertson is is, is foolish. I, um, well, he makes he makes the game's first really good, well, nearly a really good chance. That whipped ball in, and Firmino's like inches away from connecting with it on the back post. 
Yeah, um, I, th- I thought both of, them, both of them were pretty good. I mean, what was what was your original question there? Sorry, the amount of space that they had and yeah. how they used it. Yeah, but we've 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 found we found a lot of the ball in them areas. I mean, I, I think they were sort of happy to have it. I thought Bong did quite well at left back um, in terms of dealing with threats down that side. But the Trent seems to be having a lot of his um, a lot of his joy just sort of outside of, outside of the box from about twenty yards out, putting balls in from there rather than really getting to the touchline. All really pleasing stuff. Uh, they were indeed both excellent. Um, as we've been doing this throughout the season, we're recording this before Manchester City play uh, against Wolves. Rob, but Tottenham lost. Uh, they lost to a resurgent Manchester United, um, whose oh, goalkeeper was was, was was exceptionally good. Um, but I think, firstly, that this is the the importance for us of being back on track, really, and that you know it, it now looks and it's 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 you know you shouldn't say anything, you should be careful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it now looks like a bigger and bigger hill for Tottenham to climb um, in terms of the number of fixtures, what they've got left, and all that sort of stuff. We are very much back on track with that performance and result. Yeah, again, you loathe ten fate and say Spurs, and now that's them done. But that is them done. They're nine points adrift, and they've got to come to the Etihad and Anfield, and that's not going to help them in any sense whatsoever. They're only not done if they win both. That would be my yeah. yeah. I mean, let's well, let's put it this: they've got to step. They've got they've got to step it up and go on an incredible run. And it's it's not a, the, the reason though. The reason they're done is they would need both Liverpool and City. To, uh, to seriously disappoint pre- uh, predictions, and I don't think that's going to happen. They may still get second if you know that could happen if one of one of us falls away, but I don't think they've got enough with that kind of points gap to get to get to the very top again. I, to me, yesterday's result was absolutely perfect. I wanted a United victory, but I wanted one which was tainted by the fact that they were played off the park and they were played <laughs> off the park. So that that yeah, Oli keeps his job. United don't really get any better. It's wins all round. Tottenham have an ability to continuously, when you think they can't do something, they're able to do it. I mean, for them to even be third and have kept pace with Liverpool and, and City or, 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 or be just off the pace without having invested in the summer with, you know, all the issues, the, the stadium question being unanswered, th- their ability to just find solutions it has been remarkable but i think it's just too much for them at yeah. the moment there's fatigue they don't have enough midfielders or you know options to rotate between them they're the players are extended they're you know still competing on on all fronts now they've got the harry kane injury which you know seems to be an ankle issue Robbie Keane was saying when he's had that, it looks like, a, a, you know, three or four week uh, Son is, is going to the Asian Games. The all-fronts thing's important, isn't it, Mel, with them? More so than C- City can almost park the League Cup and FA Cup for a second string if they want to. Yeah. But the narrative around Pochettino and, and this trophy-winning thing, he can't really park those, those competitions. Yeah, those I, games. I don't think, actually, for him, I don't think that trophy talk... I think he's he's got clarity in his head just as Jurgen Klopp does in that, for example, winning the League Cup doesn't really change much for a, for a football club, mm. you know, for an elite no, football club. Reality, the, no. Yeah. But, Competing yeah. in that Champions League, finishing as high as possible in the league, those are the things that, you know, when you're recruiting... Those are the things that players look at. Players from abroad in Europe don't care who won the League Cup. They they don't even particularly know most of the time. 
Um, I was like the clop, like when he discovered the semi-final was two legs. I was like, are you people kidding? Are you honestly kidding? Is this a joke? We play that over two legs. I think there's an element of that, isn't there? Yeah, but so I, I think he knows what the priorities are. It's just that City have the luxury of being able to field a second string side that still looks like a first, like a very, very, very good first team. And Spurs just don't. Spurs squad is so thin. And you know, whenever is they progress, yeah. I always thought there's more is, balance than ours in a certain no, sense. No, no, no. it's, it's, it's very thin. They don't have. I mean, you saw against Chelsea, and then you saw against United that when Spurs are a little bit jaded because of workload and stuff, it it you can tell. In that first half yesterday, they had all of the ball and stuff, but United looked dangerous every single time. They were in possession, and that's because of the speed. They just looked a lot sharper, fitter, fresher, and they were because they've you know gone gone away, had a break, had a chance to work on things. And I, I just you know Pochettino is is an excellent manager, but I I don't think with all these things stacking up. I can't see how he pulls more magic out of, no. out of the hat. I, I think it's a strange thing, Paul, where the Spurs squad, and I'd, I'd sort of take Rob's point, and sometimes if you just sort of did the list, but it's yeah. stuff like Wanyama's not kicked uh, it. Yeah, that's literally... And you can say, points. so you've got Wanyama, so that's great. Dembele is basically... I mean, he looks like he's going to go, go to China, but he's, he's basically spent this season saying, I don't fancy another season of this, it's too hard. He said it in the summer, didn't he? And because, because Pochettino literally couldn't sign a lot, I think he wanted Kondogbe in, in the summer, couldn't get him. Um, and that was that was going to be the pass for Dembele to go, but the the, the Wanyama one is is the is the thing. They, they look like oh yeah, Wanyama looks like he's back, and then he's not. They, they seem to get like Lamella's back, but then he'll have three weeks out. Or Lucas Moura is is fit, firing three weeks out, and then they've got difficulties with Son okay. only being half available. Okay, but if you just uh, we'll finish. The list of their 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 but their ace front three was for a while Kane, Ali, and Eriksson. Behind and they can add a body, and their their cover uh, front three was then Son, Lamella, and Mora. Mora. That's we haven't got. But, okay, you could say our front three are better than their front three, but we haven't got that level of cover. But Ericsson and El- Ericsson and Ali out of that list are arguably playing deeper. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, and that's, yeah, and, you I know, know Ericsson's now basically, play, yeah. now basically playing centre mid. I mean, you know, they're playing, know, playing with this little weird diamond. This, but this is because they can't, for instance, go. They can't go Wanyama Dembele and then and, and then have two behind them and then rotate all up front. This is yeah. what's happening to them because even the lads that they have got, where they have got a little bit of depth, these footballers themselves aren't fit. And and that's an issue. And I would say as well, they probably know that before a ball's kicked this season. I don't believe there's many surprises here. They know. Yeah. They know where Th- this that's is. That's what I'm saying. For them to have to be third and for them to have been even in the conversation for the title with this city and and um liverpool teams are uh, is just it's it's it blows my mind and i don't think they get enough credit and you know people always go that's so spursy it's not spursy no, no. what they're doing it's it's remarkable spursy is ridiculously consistent they are he, they've got a fantastic mentality they've lost six games though you know they, don't, they haven't drawn a single game which i found fascinating after, sort 20, of after, two. after 22 they either win or lose you know but they've lost six liverpool have lost one and and it's the games where i think mel's right to say it's the games where they just haven't got anything you know i think spurs when the, when they're fully fit will beat most sides in europe not most sides in the premier league most sides in europe and the the issue is that they're running the same 11 lads in four comps yeah. every week yeah. so even even tramia 
Sons playing, Kane's coming off the bench. They've they've got lads like Skip and Foyth and stuff that who are now who are now becoming household names. Sissoko's playing every week. Harry Winks mm. is playing every week, mm. and that they were the lads were because at least these lads were the ones that were on the bench supplementing it. But now they're now they're the eleven. They've got nothing to dip back back into further that apart from Walker, Peters, Foyth, Skip, all these lads that we've seen in the past. Um, all right. Then. <clears throat> Last little bit before we before we let everybody disappear off. Um, all three of the front three effectively play the ninety minutes. It's not quite that mel, but you know it's pretty close to that with the manager there. Um, Kaiser, by the way, has probably undone the likelihood of Klopp making certain changes, uh, not just for Kaiser but in general uh, for, for 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 the next couple of weeks. Uh, there with that, good lord. Um, I can see you know, Klopp. That's why Klopp's probably thinking to himself, "That's why I don't make those changes." Um, but that aside. The front three main points is is that you get the, the the vast 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 majority of the game, all three of them, and I think that's now what we're going to see. Uh, whilst the fit, I think, given the, well, the breaks that there are between the matches, the manager will think I may as well just have my best lads on there. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point of you know not being in any other comp. What we're speaking about Tottenham, they don't have any options. They're now spread incredibly thin, and they're put in a compromising situation. Whereas Liverpool now have freedom freshness uh you know and the thing with the the massive breaks is i think we referenced this before manchester city might have you know the rhythm but then if you're playing with consistency that 11 and i think liverpool have only used a pool of probably around 15 players in you know regularly enough but i I think he'll go back to you guys are my 11 pending you know changes might be on the opposition might be depending on an injury or whatever yeah. but that's I think we're it. going to find out what his midfield is that he that, he, that he, his fantasy I, I actually I don't think he knows it but I think he, he's got an opportunity to go mm, I like these three lads best I, I think he's actually got clarity in his head over what midfield he wants for what sort of tests and I think that's what we've seen he's been it's not that you no, are my Opposition. only midfield he's like you are my midfield when I need uh more stuff on the ball or when I think that the only way to win this game is by an an aggressive attacking way and you're my midfield where I need a little bit more experience a little more you need you to be a little more risk averse. There's two there's, there's, there's the assertive. There's the assertive. We're going to have all the ball midfield, and there's that we've got a battle on our hands midfield. Yeah, it's just, I, it's I think he changes two. it based on the opposition. I don't think, and he's got again. He's got the luxury too. He can, and I think he's got complete confidence in all the midfielders, but complete confidence for different think, sort of tasks. I think is. I think his options all make sense now. Where we're in the summer, you were trying to pick. A regular sort of one dynamic that that would the one one size fits all midfield and it's it's not that not that at all. He's not interested in that. No, no, he's not. not he's not been interested in that. By the way, he's not he's not stumbled onto this. I think he's got what he wanted. Uh, yes, it, it's tactical flexibility, and that's that's um that's maybe something where I don't ever think we give the manager. You know, we always talk about the manager being a great man man manager and motivator and he's he's great with an arm around but I think actually as a tactician hey, read we read my articles <laughs> I'll take you off mute I, <laughs> I still I still think if he's got let's look at City Fernandinho Silva and De Bruyne 
he picks them fit eight out of ten and does that's what Guardiola does just bring Gundogan in when he's playing Liverpool. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I do think he wants to reach that point. Why wouldn't you? I, of course, you want an abundance of riches. I just, I, let's put it this way. I think he'd like a world-class... I don't know if he does. He'd love world-class. I think he knows this yeah, league is yeah. a one-size-fits-all and that's, what, that's sort of... That, that's why I think he... Two if sizes. you look... Well, no, I think I think there's six or seven sizes, and I think the Shakiri one is where it's now all makes sense a little bit what he was looking but for. But also, I think I think that we do this thing where we go, if we if you could have world class, well, I think he thinks it's he's got. He's well, got I, think, I think he thinks he's got world class, and I think that this is where this frustration, this conversation is frustrating, and will probably be frustrating for him to some extent because he'd go, well, hang on, they've dropped nine points all year. And they got to the Champions League final last year. At what point do we get to say, you know what, they're, out, they're, actually, they're actually really, really good? You I know? know, you mean title winning sides, and we haven't won a title yet. I had Darren Fletcher and Young C. Park in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to say, well, I'm not damning. There is. There's European top 10 class, which some of our lads are approaching, and then there's just extremely good. I'm just saying, you could have. You could have a you could like to have a Gerard or a suit. I know there's ridiculous aspirations in some reason, but so it's ridiculous to have a, a Salah and a Mane in the same team as well. No, no, I, don't, I think, but I, th- I think though, I think it's down to what it is that he what what it is that he wants and thinks thinks that they are. And I do think we do do this thing sometimes where we we overrate what other people have got. Like for instance, I, I think we overrate what we've had in the past. So I've I've watched midfields of Gerards. Mascarano and Alonso go and lose at Portsmouth, but I don't ever. Th- you don't see this of Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Fabinho or whatever. And this no, Gerald Mascarano Alonso is, is a better set of three than we have at the moment. It just is. I mean, maybe history. Some of them will evolve, like Fabinho and Kaito, Maybe Henderson is, which are maybe eventually. But right now, that three is better than what we have. If you could give me an all time of the last I, ten years, I put those. Here's three the thing, in. though: the manager doesn't look at oh. Well, here's what Liverpool had in the past or here's what Liverpool can have in the future. He looks at what he's got and he has what he has. And I think he's used them very, very well. And yeah, he's been, sure. Totally he's agree. been very smart this season. And I think it's a, it's a supporter thing to want, this is our best 11, this is our best midfielder, this is our best whatever. And I think there's certain things that you can't argue with. Virgil van Dijk is the best centre-back Liverpool have. He's the best centre-back in the league. He's the best centre-back in Europe for me. And you know, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> un- unarguable. And then, but you have the other things that he feels that he can play around with. You know, people didn't expect Shakiri to be playing as often as he has or to be as decisive as he's been in so many games. But it's because he fits and they knew he fitted. And they've got all these different ideas. I don't think he looks glowingly, you know, at Man City. And obviously every manager will be like... They've got he it take, easy. They've take, got it easy because they've got so many players. He takes Kevin De Bruyne off Guardiola tomorrow. Yeah, of course he does. Of course I don't, th- I don't yeah, think he sets there every day yeah, in, in he, envy of it. No, I didn't say he did. But also, no. I think. But I also, I think if you're Guardiola, you would take arguably any of right now: Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum. He'd have them in his squad definitely. As as lads who get not just in the squad, they get a hell of a lot of games. I think Wijnaldum plays very very regular for Man City if he's there. Very regular. And I think that right now they're thinking that, but and genuinely they'd be thinking. Themselves, we'd be six to nine points better off if we mm. had, 
if we if we had one one of those lads, I think Henderson, Fabinho, and uh, Wijnaldum are year three. Where I think if you're Guardiola right now, you're thinking if I could just be able to rotate them with with one of Fernandinho and one of Bernardo Silva every now and again, how much better off would we be? Of and I don't think, but, but I don't think then there'd be City supporters saying, "So what's his first 11? Hmm. And that's my point here. Is they become, well, so, but we're not quite clear what his first eleven is. Is it this or is it this? It's first fifteen. I would I would say, and and I think I think Klopp's the same. Where when you're not be you're not be well, we have a first choice front three. We have a first choice goalkeeper. We have a first choice back uh, centaurs with us. Yes, no, we don't. First, but, but, well, we do. We don't. Really. We nearly do. When Gomez Gomez matures, the thing. that's what we're saying. There are some things you can't argue with. Yeah, there are, and. He's happy not to argue with those things because it's ridiculous to argue with it. I'm with Klopp here, by the way. Yeah, but, <laughs> with, midfield, but with midfield, for different opposition, you need Given different things. Given the resources things. we have, 100% agree. I'm not, just, I'm not sure why, why, where we feel like there's an argument about it. I, I, think, the, I think your argument is you think he would love to have a first-choice midfield three who are theoretically head and shoulders above everything else that we could all sit around and go, that's world-class. I don't think he wants that. I don't think he does want that because I think one of the things he wants to be able to do is to make consistent changes in the middle of the park so that they can do everybody else's running for them. And he'd rather have a spread of options. And then there's something else that goes on, I think, which is that we talk down the lads who are actually who have dropped nine points all season. No. And what we do is we sit around and we go, oh, I'm not sure about him, I'm not sure about I've him. I've seen and Ginny Aldum get slack, like people on Twitter saying he's not good enough for this Liverpool team. And I think to myself, what have you been watching? What have The glass you is half watching? full. Anyone who's not seeing it like that is a fool. Because as for all those reasons, but I think every that, time you go into the market, you can look at a position and go... I think you can, I, always, you can always try and improve. And I think that's the problem. That's all I'm saying. But you can always try and improve. But I think that there's, there's trying to improve and then there's going out of your way to act as though there's something missing. There's not a problem when, there. No. Uh, but, or, but also when they may well be following the instructions that the manager gives them, which I think, again, is sometimes where I think, especially Henderson and Wijnaldum end up getting criticism. I think at times they're doing what the manager wants them to do. There's times where Wijnaldum drives me mad because I don't see him touch it for 15 minutes. Mm. And then I think... And then the manager comes Post match and says, I really like Ginny's performance. Right? Closed every pass and I'm like, going. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a cop for that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 there's nothing you can do. I think there's six lads in the side where he sort of hangs his hat on the front three and the, the left left back, left side of the centre half, and the goalkeeper. And I think the sort of right side, were you, were you saying that he's got a back five solid? I don't think he has because there was games where people well, were saying Joe Gomez was absolutely start next to Trent and, and Klopp was like, no, Lovren, Lovren centre half, Gomez right back, or. Yeah. Or, or by, that's that's it. I think, and then the three in the midfield. I, I I don't believe there's a set three, but I do think it's one for an opposition. No, there isn't. The, set the three. other no. thing as well is Fabinho and, and Naby Keita are young, and I think he, you know, as they both progress, we've Absolutely. seen F- Fabinho uh, progress at a rapider rate than than Naby at the moment. But they're looking and they're thinking, freaking hell, you know, for five six years here, this is a very 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 good midfield with Oxley Chamberlain still to come back yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with you I think you think the development of Chamberlain Keiter and Fabinho whilst you've got that bed, bedrock around them is a fantastic potential thing for Liverpool OK thank you very much to Rob Cup and Paul Senior and Melissa Reddy to be in the Anfield Rap in association with Reds Bet Sports Social Podcast Network